What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. How about you? What do you want? What I really want is someone like you. <laughs> oh, please. Well, why not? Uh, what are you looking for? Who is your perfect guy? Well, first of all, he's too humble to know he's perfect. That's me. <sighs> he's kind, sensitive, and gentle. He's not afraid to cry in front of me. This is a man we're talking about, right? What is your name? Sir Galahad of Camelot. What is your quest? I seek the grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. No. What I do know about everybody in this room is that you're making decisions. All the time, you're making decisions, big ones, little ones, some that have little implications in your life, maybe what you're gonna have for dinner. Sometimes you're making decisions that have big implications for your life. But what do you do when you get to that place where you're at one of those big forks in the road and you're realizing that if I go this way, there's gonna be huge implications. If I go this way, there's gonna be huge implications. We wanna invite God into those decisions in our life. But here's the problem that we face, is that we don't always know what's best for us. We may have a plan, and I've got it right here. This is my plan. This envelope contains my plan for my life. But what we know is true is that we don't always know what the best things are for us. I want you to just think for a little bit over the landscape of your life and all the decisions have, that you've made in your life. Have you ever had one of those decisions where you just knew that this decision, this was gonna make you happy. This was gonna make your life so much better. I'm gonna date that girl. I'm gonna marry that guy. I'm gonna buy that car. I'm gonna take that job. I'm gonna make that move. I'm gonna change that major but then you lived out the consequences and you experienced the consequences of that decision. And you just said, that is not what I wanted for my life. Every one of us, if we're honest, if I made you raise your hand, you would all have to raise your hand. We all have those in our life. And you know what we've just admitted right there is that we don't always know what's best for us. We just don't always know what's best for us. But did you know that there's another plan out there, God's plan. Did you know that he's got a plan for you? This is how the Apostle Paul explained it in Ephesians chapter two and verse 10. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's got a plan for you. And here's the message that Paul wants us to understand is that God made you. You were his workmanship. Everything about you, your gifts, your talents, your personality, your physical body, those little unique things about you that some people find charming and drive other people crazy. 
God made you and God doesn't make junk. And he's also got a plan for you as well. Not just people in general, you specifically, right there where you're at today, God sees you. He knows everything that's happening in your life. He knows not just everything that you're doing, he even knows why you're doing everything that you're doing. He knows you better than you know yourself. And here's what's true, he has a plan for you. And this is my hope for you, wherever you're at in your journey toward God, maybe the thought of God is even kind of a brand new thing for you and following him is not even on your radar screen. But here's what I want would, to be true for people as you leave today, that you would either be believing wholeheartedly or at least pondering this truth, that God would say, my plan for you is better than your plan for you. That's what God wants you to hear today. But wouldn't it be great if God had a plan for us? Like this set of house plans, wouldn't it be great if when we stepped across the line of faith into a relationship with him and just said, Jesus, I want you to be my king. I wanna follow you. I wanna follow your plan. Wouldn't it be great if God just handed us a set of plans like this? And we could open up these plans, we could unfurl it on the table in front of us, and we could just look at it from beginning to end and see like, okay, I'm right there, right now, and I kind of see where this is gonna go, and it's gonna end up right over here. And then we could just walk out that plan. I mean, wouldn't that be smart of God? If he has a plan for us and he wants us to live out that plan, wouldn't it be smart if he just gave us the plan? But God has something really different in mind. God is not so concerned as he is you finding the plan as he is you following a person. He just wants you to follow him and be dependent upon him step by step, moment by moment, where we're listening to him, asking him, God, what is next for me? He wants us to be dependent people. So God would say, don't just grab for the plan. God would say, grab my hand, walk with me. Don't just grab the plan. It's not just about the plan. I want you to grab my hand because I want to do this with you. I want you to know me in the midst of it. I want to unfold my plan for you as we walk together. We're gonna to look at a text from scripture today from the Apostle Paul, a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, where it gives us kind of the big picture idea of what it is that God's thinking about in terms of his will, his plan for our life. And what are the things that need to be true of me and increasingly true of me if I'm gonna be able to know that plan and walk that out in my life? But I'm gonna do something a little bit different. I'm gonna start at the end of the text and show you the result first. The result that God is looking for. And then I'm gonna go back and we're gonna look at what are some of the prerequisites that need to be true of my life if I'm gonna experience that result. Here's what the Bible says is the outcome. Romans chapter 12, the last half of verse two. Paul says, then, again, that word then meaning indicating result. As a result of the things that I've just said to you, then this is what's gonna be true. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, 
his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What Paul's saying is, if you do these things that I've just talked about before, the result of that is that you're going to be able to test and to prove what my plan is. And by test it, he just means we're going to be able to hold it out there. We're going to be able to look at it, observe it, know what it is. But then we're also going to be able to approve it. Meaning we're going to put our stamp on it. And our stamp is, I say yes. I know what it is that you want me to do. I'm sensing what it is that you're asking me to do, God. And I say yes, that we would test and approve what God's will is. But then Paul says something interesting. He talks about God's will. He uses some adjectives. He says his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is it that makes this plan good, pleasing, and perfect? Some of us think that it's good, pleasing, and perfect because everything in there I'm going to think is good. That I'm going to think is pleasing to me that I'm gonna think is the perfect thing for my life. And that's not it at all. If you think that, when hard things come your way, you're gonna question the character of God. I'm not gonna follow him because that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel pleasing. That doesn't feel perfect. The reason that that will, that plan is good, pleasing, and perfect is because it's authored by someone whose character is good, pleasing, and perfect in everything that he does. But that plan for you, I don't care who you are, there is gonna be hard things in there. There's gonna be painful things in there. I love that I just saw this weekend, I love Brene Brown, and I just saw this tweet from her. She said, I hoped faith would be an epidural for pain. Turns out to be a midwife who says, push, but I'm here. Sometimes this hurts. It's not the Bible, it's Twitter, but it's so true, isn't it? That's part of what faith is. God says, push, but I'm here. Sometimes this is gonna hurt. And that's why we've got to understand that God says, grab a hold, not just of the plan, but you've got to grab my hand because it's the only way it's gonna make sense when things are really hard. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But now let's go back up and look at some of the prerequisites, some of the commands that Paul gives us. What are the things that need to be true of my life if I'm gonna be able to do that, to know what his will is and put my stamp of yes on it? What needs to be true in my life? Romans 12, starting at verse one. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's what we just read. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want us to just look really quickly at some of the commands that Paul gives, things that need to be true of us if we're gonna be able to test and approve what God's plan is for us. And the first one is that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices. 
Now, when we think about the audience that Paul is writing to here, immediately when they hear that term sacrifice, the Jewish audience and even the Gentiles that were part of the church in Rome as well, they're gonna have this picture in their mind. They're gonna picture an altar on the front of the temple. And they're gonna picture this family that had raised this little lamb from the time that it was small. And then taking this lamb up to the temple, up to the altar, and the priest at the altar slitting the neck of this lamb and spilling its blood on the altar to pay the penalty for sin. And Paul's already said, in view of God's mercy, offer your body. The mercy that he's talking about is the mercy that we were shown in Christ, that Christ became the perfect lamb for us. He paid the price. He died on the altar for us in our place so that we can do what? So that we don't have to come and die on the altar. So that Paul can tell us, you be a living sacrifice. What Paul is saying is, live your life for me. Lay your life on the altar for me. It's the only reasonable thing that you can do in light of everything that I've done for you. So what Paul's saying is, if we're gonna understand God's plan for us, we've gotta be in a posture of surrender to him where we're just over and over willing to put our life back on the altar and say, God, I belong to you. My life belongs to you. But you know what's true about a living sacrifice? It tends to wanna crawl off the altar every once in a while. You ever done that? We have these great moments where we're just like, God, everything belongs to you, but we take it back. But he's just continually put your life on the altar. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. And then Paul says, secondly, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Paul's, he understands that the things in this life, the things in this world are gonna push on your life. They are gonna shape your life. They're gonna shape the way you think. They're gonna shape the way that you value. They're gonna shape the way that you view the world. I love the J.B. Phillips translation of this text of scripture. It says, don't let the world force you into its mold. Because friends, the world is gonna try to do that. The things that you listen to, the things that you watch, the people that you're around, it's gonna push you into its mold. But Paul would be saying, don't let the world do that. Not only does he say, do not be conformed, but he said, in response to that, actually be transformed by the renewing of your mind renewing our mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, almost like the, the renovation of a house, room by room, thought by thought, allowing our thoughts to begin to reflect the thoughts of God. God, how are you thinking about this? How do you see this? God, how do you want me to see you? God, how is it that you see me? Transforming our mind, renewing our mind leads to transformation in our life. And what Paul says, when those things become increasingly true in our life, when we're just in a posture of surrender, when we say, I'm willing to be a living sacrifice, my life belongs to you. When we're thinking about the things that are shaping our life and we're not letting the world push us into its mold, and when we're allowing our life and our minds to be transformed, Paul says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will. You'll be able to see it. And because you know who he is, you'll want to put your yes on it. Test and approve. I say yes to that. And I know that it's good, 
pleasing and perfect, God, because you are the one that authored it. Your character is good, pleasing, and perfect. So I wanna get practical. What are the things that God uses to shape our mind? What are the things that God uses to renew our mind, to keep us from conforming to the world around us? What are the things that he uses to reveal his plan to us? The first thing that God uses simply is his word. Now, I know that I, as I say that, you're just like, I know you're a pastor. You got to say the Bible. Everything's about the Bible. Read your Bible. But I want to help you understand the connection to the word and God's plan for your life. It's not reading the word that you're going to find a chapter and verse that's going to tell you who it is that you're going to marry, what job to take. That's not what you're going to learn from spending time in the scripture. But here's what you are going to learn. You're going to learn who God is. You're gonna learn what he's like. You're gonna learn what he thinks about. You're gonna learn, how does he think about me? How does he want me to think about him? It'll start to shape the way you view the world. You'll start to view the world the way God views the world. It's not just about learning some facts or learning some stories or knowing all the do's and don'ts. It's God has chosen to reveal his mind to us through the scriptures. And this is how I kind of picture it. Uh, there's so many times that my kids come to me and they're asking me for something or they want my advice on something. And before they even tell me what it is, there's this thing that comes out of their mouth. They say this, dad, I know what you're gonna say, but, and then they ask their question or they ask for their advice. And I'm just sitting there thinking, what in the world makes them think that I, they know exactly what I'm gonna say? Like, are they mind readers? Are they clairvoyant in some way? No, but what they have done is they've lived a life of walking with their dad. The things that I think, the things that I value, it's not changing every day. They have a sense of what those things are. And friends, as we're making decisions in life, as we've spent time with God, as we've listened to his word, we have a sense of what it is that God values in the world and we're able to respond to that. It's not gonna, the word's not gonna specifically answer every fork in the road for you, but you're gonna know how God thinks. You're gonna know what he's like. A second thing that every pastor has to say as well, that God uses to shape our life is prayer. Prayer, simply prayer. But here's how I want you to think about it. Prayer oftentimes is talked about in terms of a conversation with God, that it's just me simply talking with God. And I think that there's, that's very, very accurate. But let me have you think about it this way. At least half of a conversation should be listening. Listening, it's not just talking. Prayer is just as much listening as it is talking. And so many times when we think about trying to find God's plan for our life, we're just sitting there talking to him about our plan. God, here's my plan for life. Please bless this plan for my life. God, now I've made a mess with my plan. Will you please fix my plan? And we're just talking, talking, talking. Part of prayer, friends, it's got to be listening. Now, this might be the most practical thing that I say all day. So if your notes page has become a to-do list for this afternoon, if you could just kind of come back with me right now, I want you to catch this. This has been so helpful for me as I spend time with God 
I grab a pen and I grab a journal or a piece of paper and I ask God questions. Simple, simple questions. And usually it's in response to the word. There's something that kind of jumps out to me from the scripture. And I start to ask God questions. Simple question like this. God, what is it that you want to say to me about that? And I listen and I start to write down things that come to my mind and I continue to ask questions about that. A second question that I always ask God, God, have I done anything to offend you? Is there anything in my heart and life that I've done to offend you? Anything that might be keeping me from experiencing you and hearing from you in the most unhindered way? Is there anything that I've done to offend you? And then simply asking a question like this, God, is there anything that you want me to do on your behalf today? And I just listen. And as things come to my mind, I just simply write them down and do my level best to go after it. And I'll be honest, that last question there, it's not like it's the most profound things in the world that come to my mind. Not always world-changing things. Sometimes it's like, would you just hug and kiss your daughter before you leave and tell her that you love her? And I write that down and I do it. We learn to listen to what it is that God wants us to do when we give him the space in our life. Our prayer life has got to be less talking and more listening. God, what is it that you wanna say? And we learn to hear his voice. A third thing that God uses to reveal his plan to us as people. Friends, you've got to have people in your life. Now, people can't make decisions for you, but you need to have people in your life that love God, that love you, that you're willing to open up the curtains of your life to them and let them speak in to your life. This is how the scripture says it in Proverbs 15:22. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You need friendships like that in your life. And not just friends that you see every now and then. You need to have a rhythm of these kinds of friendships in your life where you're sharing with them what it is that you sense God is saying to you, what it is that you sense God is asking you to do. I've got layers of people in my life, from my missional community to my life transformation group, people that I'm always talking about. This is what I'm hearing from God. This is what I think he's asking me to do. And they can affirm those things and encourage those things. And sometimes they just hold up the mirror and say, I don't know about that. Have you thought about this? And God uses them to speak into my life. Friends, we've got to have those kinds of people in our life. People that are willing to love us, but are also willing to say the hard things to us when we need to hear the hard things. A fourth thing that God uses to reveal his plan to us is circumstances. God can use just the normal circumstances of life to direct us. Sometimes there might be something positive that affirms a direction in our life, and sometimes it can be a negative thing that keeps us from heading in a different direction in life. But before I even get this out of my mouth, I want to say I want to have some caution around using circumstances to direct your life. I would say we only use circumstances as a way to affirm or confirm ways that God is speaking to us in other ways. But here's what I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of others is we want to look at circumstances first and foremost. And here's why I think that is. Because circumstances seem to be more tangible. They seem to be more black and white. Like I can just look at it right there and I can say that's a sign from God. 
Maybe, maybe it's a sign from God, but maybe it's not. Circumstances by themselves are not great decision-making tools. The ways I've seen this as well is this whole idea that people have oftentimes of the open door and the closed door. Like I'm, I'm heading this way in life, sensing that God is leading me in this, and all of a sudden I hit a closed door. And people naturally respond, well, the door is closed, and so God must obviously want me to go in another direction. There have been so many times in life where that closed door, I feel like the message that God has for me is not turn and go in a different direction, but kick the door down. This is where you've got to persevere in this. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that I'm not leading you toward it. And I think the exact opposite of that is true. There are amazingly wide open doors in all of our lives that I don't think God has put there. If you don't think the enemy himself will open up wide doors and opportunities for your life, you're crazy. He'll dangle a carrot out there, come through this door. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He says, wide is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction. Not every open door is God's open door. And not every closed door is God's closed door. We've got to use the other things that God uses to help us in our decision-making process. And a second circumstantial thing that I think sometimes people get a little bit twisted is this whole idea of peace. You know, I, I, I don't really have a peace about this decision. Now, before you start sending me a mean email, I do understand that the Holy Spirit gives us that internal witness, that sense of confirmation, that sense of I am with you in this. But so many times I hear people talk about peace in the sense of I don't really feel good about this, so I'm not gonna do it. I don't have peace. And you can't take the Bible seriously without looking at person after person that God invites them to do things that are in the center of his plan. It is fully his plan for their life but they did not have peace. In fact, they were wetting themselves a little. I mean, it was hard, things that he calls us to. And now God, I think, can give us that confirmation that I'm with you, I'm in this with you. And in that way, I think there can be a peace that passes understanding, but God is not gonna just call us to do things that we feel good about. You know, when God asks me to confess my sin to people, I usually don't feel good about that. I don't feel peace. There's so many times that I just sense God is saying, I want you to talk to that person about me. And I'm thinking, I don't really know them. And, and sometimes if I do know anything about them, it's like, I don't know that that's what they want to hear. I don't necessarily have peace, but I know that God is with me. God is not gonna just call us to things that make us feel good. The last thing that God can use to reveal his plan to us is simply our desires, our desires. What do you want to do? What is it that you want to do? What's on your heart to do? Now, some people out there are like, you can't say that. Don't tell people that. You tell people that they can do what they want to do. They can follow the desires of their heart. And they're just going to go do anything that they want. It's going to take them away from God, not towards God's plan for their life. Here's how David said it. Psalm 37, verse four, he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's what we have to understand about what David said there. The emphasis of that verse is on delighting. 
That's the command of that verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be with him. Engage with him. Walk with him. Listen to him. Delight yourself in him. And then he'll give you the desires of your heart. But you can't look at it this way. It's not like I'm going to try to really work hard on doing this delighting thing. Because if I do this delighting thing really well, it sounds like what God's going to do is he's going to make my plans come true. I think this is a better picture of what David's talking about there. The more that we spend time with God, delighting in him, it's not that God over here suddenly decides he's going to bless our plans over here. What happens over time is that our plans become God's plans. We start to want the things that God wants for us. When we delight in him, our heart becomes more like his heart. His desires become our desires. A.W. Tozer explained this infinitely better than I ever could. So I wanna just read this quote to you from him. He says, except for those things that are specifically commanded or forbidden, it is God's will that you should be free to exercise our own intelligent choice. The shepherd will lead the sheep, but he does not wish to decide which tuft of grass the sheep shall nibble each moment of the day. In almost everything touching our common life on earth, God is pleased when we are pleased. He wills that we be as free as the birds to soar and sing our maker's praise without anxiety. God's choice for us may not be one, but any one of a score of possible choices. The man or woman who is holy and joyously surrendered to Christ cannot make a wrong choice. Any choice will be the right one. God makes it really clear in his word that following his plan, although it's the best plan for us, it's not easy. It is not always an easy plan. But you know what makes me want to trust God with my life and trust him, trust his plan versus my plan is that God had the guts to take his own medicine. And here's what I mean by that. At the very end of the life of Jesus, just after the last supper, it says that Jesus began to pull away from the disciples. And he went out onto the Mount of Olives and the scripture says that he knelt down to pray. Jesus knew what was coming at him. He knew what was coming his way. As he stood there before the Father, in his mind, he knew that in a matter of moments, he's gonna be arrested. He knows that these people that have called themselves their, his friends, they're all gonna leave. They're all gonna desert him. They're all gonna walk away. He knows that he is gonna be falsely accused. He knows that he is gonna be unjustly tried. He knows that he's gonna be beaten. And he knows that those Roman soldiers are gonna nail his hands and his feet to a cross. He knows that he is gonna bear the wrath of Yahweh for the sin of the world. It's all coming on him. And he had the honesty to, as he looked to heaven, he just said, my father, if you were willing, take this cup 
from me. Jesus, in that moment of honesty, he just said, Father, this is my plan. But then he just said the most honest thing that you could say. He said, but not my will, but your will be done. And in that way, Jesus for all time said, Father, your plan for me is better than my plan for me. When it's hard to know what it is that God is asking you to do, I can trust a God like that. I can trust a God that was willing to take his own medicine. He was willing to say, your plan for me is better than my plan for me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you didn't just tell us how to follow the plan of the Father. Thank you that you were willing to show us. And Jesus, I pray for me. I pray for my friends. I pray for when we are, life is just bearing down on us with the challenges that are in front of us and everything in us wants to just say, I'm done. I'm done. God, would you, would you take this cup from me? Please. Jesus, thank you that you showed us that we can trust the plan of the Father. Even when we don't understand everything, we can trust his heart. We know that his plan is good, pleasing, and per perfect. God, we trust you. And Jesus, it's in your powerful and risen name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.